Welcome to today's episode of Emotional Savvy, the Relationship Help Show. Have you ever felt that you and your partner are just so frequently a little bit too different? I think most people have, and you kind of wonder, what did I get myself into, and how do I solve this problem? So in today's episode, I'm going to be talking with um, Dr. James Crichton, and he is the author of the book, Loving Through Your Differences. Here's the book right here, and uh, we're going to be having a great conversation about various things that we need to look at, our values, our vision, the way that we solve problems, so many things. So stay tuned and uh, tell your friends to come over and join us too, because this is going to be great information for everyone. Welcome to Emotional Savvy, the Relationship Help Show. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. If you're ready to increase your confidence in conversations and conflict, deepen your self-awareness, expand your connectedness, and enrich your relationship with yourself and other humans you care about, and even those you wish you didn't, you're in the right place. Enjoy today's episode. Today on Emotional Savvy, my guest is Dr. James Crichton, and I'm so delighted to have you here, James. How how long has it been since you have had your wonderful book, Loving Through Your Differences, this book right here that you can find on Amazon, and there's how you spell his name. Uh, how long has it been since this book came out for you? It came out in February, so it's, okay. it's fairly recent. That's very recent for a book. That's a brand new birth. <laughs> it, it feels like it too, along with birth pains and everything. Oh, yes, there are birthing pains of the book. You think you've gone through the entire labor when you finished writing it, but you have only just done the first trimester, I think, <laughs> because then you have so much more to do to tell everybody about the book and share ideas with them from the book, and then hopefully have people go and say, I want that. So if you do want that, you can get that book at Amazon, Loving Through Your Differences. So you have been a psychologist and a relationship consultant for a long time, as I have, and that's always fun to have a conversation with someone who has been through many of the changes in the ways that we look at relationship and how we help people with relationships. One of the things that I think is important for us to discuss, and certainly relates to my work with the difficult people, the hijackals, is the idea of empathy. How important is empathy in being able to solve your differences? Well, it's critical. Uh, I might add that uh, I've been married 53 years. Oh, <laughs> congratulations. I may make it, you know. <laughs> I think you have made it, James. <laughs> and uh, most couples fight. Um, some couples fight a little, some couples fight a lot. Uh, we, frankly, have been down at the fight a lot in the end of the category. Uh, so the, the my reason for exploring this, up, this topic is because I need it. Uh, we We wouldn't get along without some of the skills we've acquired. One of the critical skills is a listening skill that allows you to uh, 
to, to learn to summarize in your own words what the other person's feeling and thinking mm -hmm. and being able to feel that because uh, without without both people feeling like the other person gets them it's very hard to resolve things right and one of the things that we have to be cautious about with the hijackals i deal with is that they can in fact use their intellectual capacity to parrot back what you said um, and make it seem as though there was some empathy, some learning, some listening that actually occurred. How do you make sure that the other person has taken in what you said, not just heard it, but actively listened? Well, of course, my idea is not that they parrot back word for word what the person said, but summarize in, in their own words their understanding of what the person said. Um, I'm not sure I have a magic formula for how you, you tell whether a person genuinely empathetic or not. The, uh, it's true that some people can learn to disguise, disguise it. The, uh, and in fact, in my mind, the most important thing really is that both people get a chance to say what they have to say. And, and uh, we've even found at times that we we're quite unable to uh, to listen to each other. The, the last person on earth we want to listen to is, is our, my wife. She's, she's, <laughs> well, I think that's true for many people, especially if there's anger arousal involved. You know, that that's an important thing. Um, I would contribute to the, that answer that what many people don't do is they're kind of afraid of extending the conversation. So they get what they want, which is some semblance of, it seems like you could tell me back what I said. And instead of digging a little deeper, staying in the conversation a little longer, they take that as, as uh, okay. So I think one of the things is, is extending the communication and deepening the conversation so that we find out if we really are on the same page and understanding, for, for instance, what I said. Um, because people can, of course, get pretty accurate with saying back what you said only to get rid of you. So, <laughs> you know, to put an end to the conversation. Now, we don't want that. We want them to be actively engaged in, in the conversation. So maybe a little two or three more sentences, a few more questions is one way that we can find out if the person did actually hear it. And don't ask trick questions, you know. Don't say to somebody, well, do you know what I mean by that? I mean, it's up to you to communicate what you mean by that. And I... I think I think that there's value in understanding that. How about you? Um, yes, don't use the trick questions. People will simply react to the emotional underpinnings. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. They're being set up. They're being set up. It doesn't matter how question, how clever the question is. Actually, my wife and I have the uh, the opposite problem. Um, we get in a real fight. We can go on for hours. It seems like. Uh, what we've what we've learned to do is uh, something called the five minute rule. Uh, this helps us immensely. We're both both upset, both uh, at a point where we're saying things that we wish we later on wish we weren't saying, and so forth. Uh, either one of us can can invoke the five minute rule. 
because we've agreed in, to do this. And the way it works is that uh, one of us says five minute rule and we stop whatever we're doing. Uh, and all we can talk about is who goes first. And if that's a, a that itself can be a subject of controversy. So you <laughs> flip, flip a coin and uh, that person, whoever wins, gets five minutes to say whether, whatever he or she wants, any way they want uh, for five minutes, and then they switch. The other person gets five minutes. And why it seems to work is five minutes is long enough that you kind of get some of the steam goes out. Mm -hmm. it, uh, it seems like a couple minutes isn't enough. We're still still fighting the battle and carrying the banner, ready to storm the, the tower and so forth. By five minutes, at least by about four minutes, I'm boring myself. <laughs> I can see that I'm just repeating the same thing over and over. My wife can go five minutes easily, but uh, if if we have to go past the five minutes, why well, we have to do another round? So we switch and, and do it. And it seems to be enough so that by the end of five minutes, either will one of us engage in some behavior uh, that's conciliatory. Um, okay. We might do an act of listening summary. summary. Uh, sometimes all it ends up with is, well, I don't have any more to say. Uh, if both people say that, that's really not a bad place from which to, to launch uh, problem solving in the ne next discussion and so on. Mm -hmm. Now, I see opening comments as being kind of the first step in problem definition, uh, problem that you're going to try to solve together. Because very often the, the, the initial feelings that you start expressing aren't even the feelings that come out after you've been going going for a while. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, th I think that that's true. Let me just interrupt for a second there um, <clears throat> because we want to take it in parts. Um, so this five-minute rule, someone calls it. You know, what do you say? I need a five-minute rule. <laughs> yeah, just five-minute yep. rule. Yeah. Okay. And sometimes do you have to postpone it? Do you have to say, well, I can't do it right now, but I can do it at a certain time? Uh, you could. The, uh, the, and there can be some other limitations, like you don't do it in front of your friends, so so on. You, you get some time when it's alone. Good plan. Uh, timing of an argument is 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 an interesting issue. Uh, did you want to take a break or do? No. Oh, I, I'm sorry. Um, one of the things I found, uh, you know, John Gottman talks about pursuers and distancers and so on. And pursuers are people who, when they're upset, take care of their anxiety by going right after it. They they got to deal with it now. Or so. uh, distancers are people who would like to back away, think about it, so forth. Uh, it's not that they're less emotional. In fact, some evidence that they're as or more upset than the, than the pursuer. It's just their way of dealing with. The, Dealing with it is to withdraw, pull away, and which of course drives the uh, pursuer crazy. Pursuer right. comes forward, says something, the distancer engages in behavior to get away from it. 
now the pursuer really has a reason to go after him. And, and it's kind of, you know, step, 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 step. Um, my wife was the pursuer and I'm the distancer. Mm. Uh, there's some gender stuff on that, but not completely. And well, I I do, I do think, though, that we have to be respectful. I mean, if somebody is deeply into a project or something and they really can't turn their attention to you and they know that, um, I think that we have to be respectful that everybody's not up for something when we want it to happen. And it, we have to be able to hear... Uh, yes, I'm happy to do that, and I'm happy to do it at such and such a time. Is that okay with you? Oh, that's that's the kind of the thing my wife and I worked out. Uh, she wasn't happy to hear that, but uh, she wanted to talk now. Right. But um, what we would do is I, I finally agreed to a rule that I didn't have to talk about it exactly when she wanted to talk about it. But I did have to talk about it within 24 hours. And that that sounds that sounds perfect because it's respectful, you know. I and this whole business of people saying, "Well, I want to talk about it right now," and I don't care what you're doing, and I don't care where you are, and they call you on the phone and say, "You know, I'm angry," and I, you know, that could hear this. Well, I want a five minute rule, and I want it right now, and and it would be impossible for that to happen because. That is lacking in maturity in the same way that it would be lacking in maturity to try and postpone it for 48 hours. Right. You know, you have to have something where you build trust that the, there is a problem-solving willingness in the relationship. Yeah, we, we, I, I had a funny experience with this, which is after we've agreed on when we're going to talk about it, like as soon as the football game's over, <laughs> then... Um, my reaction tends to be pause and then oh, let's talk about it and get it over with. Because uh, once it's no longer a power struggle about whose time we're going to deal with it in, do I really have to jump through a hoop anytime you have a feeling and so forth and so on? Once we agree on the time, the power game is over and I just soon get it over with too. <laughs> Well, I think it's wise if you can, if you can honor the fact that someone's a little hot under the collar right now. But there's also wisdom in letting that person calm down before they open their mouth. Um, they can spill a lot of venom in five minutes that is ill-placed and is going to require five hours to fix, right? So, you know, we do want to be respectful of one another and respectful of ourselves because when you're angry, I mean, you're somewhat brain dead according you know, according to the way your brain works, the more arousal there is, the the less blood there is in your brain, it's gone to protect your vital organs. And, you know, as Ashley Brilliant said, when you're angry, you'll make the best speech you'll ever regret. <laughs> so, you know, if, if someone says, I need a five-minute rule, and they're, they're self-aware enough to say, and I need it in three hours because I'm really too angry right now i would think that that is part of the maturation process and learning to deal with relationship issues that would be great if, if that's the way it came about we, we also work on how you send feelings uh it's entirely different to say i i really felt hurt <clears throat> versus saying you're 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 a thoughtless jerk 
Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So on. Uh, now, during the five minutes, we don't we don't apply any rules. The reason being, if if my wife starts in and doesn't send, she sends judgments instead of feelings, <clears throat> and I interrupt her, most of the value of the five minutes is lost. Right. Because the whole point of the five minutes is for five minutes, nobody's telling you you're bad, stupid, or crazy for feeling the way you do. Uh, and so if, if there were rules about how you had to send feelings, uh, so the, the enforcer would be seen as the interrupter and, and it wouldn't work. The, uh, so we just let it rip, but with the understanding that the damage to the relationship uh, is much higher if we don't observe <clears throat> things like sending feelings instead of judgments. So. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that I would, I want to caution everybody to, to the fact that the five minute rule is not something you just go and run off and do right now. I think you need to have some conversations about what that is for each of you and how, how that would, that would unfold in the most productive and effective way for the relationship. You know, I always feel when I'm working with couples, and I do, I work by video conferencing, so I have couples in many parts of the world. And I always say there's three of you in, in the relationship. There's, there's party one, party two, and then the relationship. And what works for party one or works for party two may not work for the relationship. So you do have to do something about that, don't you? My assumption and the assumption in the book is that these are couples who want to work on it. And so uh, it, my, in fact, my thought is re read the book and then go through it chapter by chapter together and agree on what parts w work for you and so on. So the five-minute rule is the outcome of an, ex an extended discussion of how you want to handle things in the relationship. Okay. Uh, in, in our experience, the best time for those conversations were um, was shortly after we've been in a fight. Uh, we've recovered enough that there's no the venom's gone, mm -hmm. but some of the hurt isn't, mm -hmm. and we don't want to. We we feel hurt enough. We're willing to make some changes, and so we talk about it. Then we're more likely to agree than when, than when we're both feeling all solid and secure and why, why should I fight? We're never going to fight again. So. <laughs> Till the next time. Um, one thing that I just want to put in here, the research shows that if you get very angry um, and you know, your body goes into certain arousal that happens and blood exchanges and, and amygdala upsets and all kinds of things that occur and it takes a minimum of two hours for the mm. body to come back to resting heart rate if there are no more upsets in between. So I would think that that might be a good rule of thumb for people to say, you know, at least have a two hour gap between when you were really angry and when you attempt to resolve. Because whether you use the five minute rule, which could work really well then once you've laid your own ground rules, or you just come back because we've all had that experience of having, you know, a whole big fight and, and anger is really present and tension is there and name calling and judgments and feelings and everything spilling out and the past being brought up and the always and the never and all that thing. And 
what's basically happening is the body's gone into fight or flight and it is preparing so the blood goes from the prefrontal lobes and drains down to keep the heart and lungs happy so you can stay alive because you feel threatened. And when that happens, we have to get the blood back where it belongs and everything calm down. So it's a good thing to not try and fight because if we all have differing times, so that's why I say wait two hours, because haven't you had that experience where you have a fight and then the other person is doing better than you are, and they think better of it, and they come in and they say, um, oh, well, you know, I really love you, and they go to touch you, and you go, get away from me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm yeah, not I've been there. <laughs> They're ready to have that conversation with you. I'm, you know, I'm still in arousal. I am not ready. So it may be very wise to take the two hours before you try to have a five-minute rule. <laughs> well, I definitely, um, there, there's a chapter in the book, which describes the steps in a problem-solving process. And uh, first step is problem definition, which actually occurs even during a fight. But I strongly recommend that the problem-solving session be a separate time from the fight. If you, if you try to get into solving the problem while you're all angry and upset and so forth, you, first of all, you'll re-stimulate the fight. So you'll just, you know, She'll say something that just hooks you just just enough that you fire off again. Uh, and you, you, as you say, when you're all agitated and upset and so forth, the, the range of alternatives you're willing to consider also narrows. That's one of the things as you escalate is that you get more rigid, uh, less open to alternatives and so on. I've had this, I often serve as a mediator uh, in public issues and so on. And I'll talk to people beforehand and it will seem like they're not that far apart. But as when they get together and start wailing away on each other and so on, what I see happening is they, they, were, they were pretty close together and as they go on and on, they get further apart and so like, I'll, ne I'll never do that. I'll never agree to that with this person. I don't trust this, you know, and on and on and on and on, and it gets worse. So you want to do the problem solving sometime after you've discharged the emotion and have kind of found your balance again. Yes, I think that that's a very good consideration, and I hope everybody will think about that because a lot of people, I used to teach a lot of anger management classes, James, and people didn't realize that all these physiological things are going on in tandem with all this emotional stuff that's coming out. And so they, they think that they're quite able to monitor their mouths at all times. <laughs> but when you've gone slightly brain dead, monitoring your mouth is not something you're really good at usually. <laughs> and that's when you can do a great deal of damage to a relationship. So, so yeah. One thing we that I did, because I've also taught a anger management classes. One thing I did in mind was we, we would try to look at this, the, the, the escalating steps in the conflict. And you start out with blame and accusation. And then pretty soon you're moving to um, drawing in other people as, as, as ammunition. Not just me that feels this way. Your main man feels that way. The neighbors took a vote and agreed you're a jerk, <laughs> yeah. and what, what, whatever it is. Uh, 
you also tend to move from whatever the specific thing, the cap was left off the toothpaste. You, you start broadening the issue. Uh, it's, it's not just you leave the cap off the toothpaste. You're always so messy. And so this is a sign of how irresponsible you are. And you never do. And pretty soon, it's a universal, uh, you know, a wipeout aimed at the person universally, and uh, nobody can can answer that. Uh, my wife and I even set rules on that. We um, we said a don't don't escalate, uh, don't expand the issue kind of thing. So the minute we hear us moving from the toothpaste cap to you're always so messy. Uh, they, we try to try to call each other on it and try to discipline ourselves. Oh, okay. I you got know. a big question there, James. How okay. do you do it? How do you call each other on that? Uh, pretty gently. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Could you give us some, uh, some good words for that? Well, well, the thing that helps, of course, is that there is a mutual agreement in place that we won't expand the issue. And so usually just you're expanding the issue is enough for uh, for me to say okay good because yeah. i think that's really important to know you know what you're talking about is what i've written about called the 10 for 1 solution which is we want to talk about the lid on the toothpaste and then we get to the you know, well, you, you always, you don't care about the bathroom and then you're terribly messy and then your mother wears trench boots and I don't know why I married into this family and all of the family is like that. And pretty soon you've got 10 things that you're trying to add to the conversation when you really wanted to talk about the lid off the toothpaste. And for those of you who want to go and find more about Dr. James Crichton, you go to James L. Crichton, that's how you spell it, dot com jameslcrichton.com. And remember, you can find his book, Loving Through Your Differences, at Amazon or wherever you like to buy books. And if it's not available, ask the bookstore to order it because that will stimulate more people to buy that book. So certainly do that. Tell you a little secret. Amazon also gives about a $5 discount. Ah, well, there you go. Rush on over to Amazon and get it right now. <laughs> Loving through your differences. So I want to talk about a couple of other issues because we just touched on that very good one, the five-minute rule and how to ask for it and how not to escalate the conversation. So very important. Um, but I want to ask you, um, each one of us, you say it's important that you've learned that each of us has an emotional reality of our own. And I think sometimes people miss the fact that we're entitled to our emotional reality. Yeah, this is one again. My, everything that everything that's here, my wife and I work, worked on at some point. But uh, if I we go to a movie and I come out of the movie uh, and start talking naturally about about it, uh, and I say, "Boy, that was a great film," and she says, "Man, that was awful." I, was bored to tears. Uh, the first reaction that most of us have is to try to tell the other person they're wrong to have the reality they have. Right. I mean, that there's something really, really immature that I could like a movie like that. Or, uh, she, she's opposed to certain kinds of things and she's just, just not an open person. And on and on and on and on. Uh, it's a fact <clears throat> that I felt excited by the movie and it's a fact that she felt bored by the movie 
Great. Uh, that it was a good movie. We can argue about that forever. And if we get on to that level of discussion, we will argue about that forever. <laughs> but the, uh, the experience we had of boredom or excitement and so forth uh, is, is our experience. And it, it will change only unless our understanding of, of the situation changes. And so the telling the other person they ought to feel the way you do is, is really a wasted energy. And it's asking them actually to deny who they are. They feel who, the way they feel because of how they were raised and their, upper, their, their upbringing and the training they've had and on and on and on, all these things that make them unique. Nobody else in the universe is like them. And as a result, nobody else in the universe will ever always feel the same way they do. Right. And and this is valuable information to sit with for a minute because when somebody tells you something about themselves, you have two opportunities. You can make them wrong or you can lean in if you love them and learn more about them. And it's a moment to become curious. Tell me more about that. What was it that didn't strike you well in that movie? You know, did it trigger an old thought or an old emotion? What what happened? And we can learn about our partners. But if we come from that place, well, I liked it and you should like it too. What's wrong with you? <laughs> um, we have already dysfunction in our relationship and that needs a different kind of solution. So it's important to honor the fact that we do have different emotional realities and become curious about one another's emotional realities so that we can deepen our emotional intimacy. And these are important things to do. Otherwise, we're always just sitting on the surface, you know. I call it a rice paddy relationship. It's really wide, but it's only about this deep. <laughs> and, and it's important for us to know that we have it within ourselves to to be the one who wants to take things deeper, who wants to know more, wants to learn more, not in a not in a a way like I need to know everything about you. But no, I I really value you. I love you. And the more that you fill in the blanks for me, the bigger the picture gets, the more I understand you, the more I can respond to you. And this is something that most people long for. But if we haven't been equipped to be able to have those conversations, and you give so many good tips in your book about having those conversations, you know, I... I have a red book too, and in my book, Kaizen for Couples, I, I also give a lot of good tips. So there's lots of great information out there to help you have a deepening of the emotional intimacy most people long for. And if you're with somebody who isn't longing for it, you may want to do some deep reflection on what's going on. Now, just let me remind you, if you, if you um, didn't write it down yet, you want to learn more about what Dr. James Crichton is saying, go to James L. Crichton, all one word, no period after the L, and .com, jameslcrichton.com. If you want to learn more about my work, go to transformingrelationship.com. Okay, so we're talking about emotional reality. Let's talk for a minute about um, the distinction between we have a problem, and you are the problem. 
that that's a big a big thing that many couples have to work on, isn't it? How do they do that? Well, what, <clears throat> one of the important insights about your own individual reality and so on is is to learn that your feelings are the result of how you frame the situation, your your interpretation. Uh, let me give you an example. I had a guy in one of my classes who loved to go hunting once or twice a year with his buddies. And his wife uh, would get kind of upset by it. And then when he came back, would be asking him all kinds of questions. You know, did you do this? And did you do that? And did you see her? And did you on and on and on and on? And it was such a hassle that he was almost ready to give up the hunting trip, except that he resented that so much that that started a whole other round and so on. He finally realized that he could also interpret her behavior and not, not just as controlling and jealous and so on, but that she was feeling insecure. And when he reframed her behavior that way, uh, well, the way you respond, respond to somebody who's feeling insecure is not the same way you would respond to somebody who's trying to control you. And you know, instead you get caring and supportive and so forth and so on. And then lo and behold, as he began to move into that thing of she's feeling anxious, his behavior began to change enough that she started reacting differently and it began to change. Okay, let me, let, let me just ask a question about that, James, because I think we need to make it clear that what you were just talking about happened within the brain of the fellow. Yes. That he he, <laughs> it wasn't a conversation. He didn't say, "Well, you're feeling very anxious, aren't you?" And that's why you're behaving this way. He he did the reframe in his own mind. That's right. Yeah, he he had not previously even thought about how she was feeling, except, except she started to control me. And uh, now he was he was finally beginning to, to think about that. And one of the rules I have for any any reframing is it has to explain the other, the other person's behavior at least as well or better than your old interpretation. And uh, in, his, in his case, it, it did. Uh, and a lot of the long-term uh, conflicts, the conflicts that last for years, and sometimes in relationships they do, uh, it's going to take reframing on both people's part uh, before they, they can be, begin to move on it. Mm -hmm. uh, I, <clears throat> one example where couple he he was raised in an immigrant family, and it was extremely important for his family to show that they made it. And when they wanted to get a new car, he instantly started thinking about Cadillacs and BMWs and so forth. So she was raised in a working class family where the the mortal sin was to be above to get above yourself. You never did anything that, that put other people down. She'd already tested the limits by going to college. And uh, you know, so she, she was a little bit suspect already. And so she, she was uncomfortable even riding in a Mercedes or a BMW and so on, because it seemed to her that she was being above herself. Uh, and so when they went to buy a car, they had a heck of a time trying to agree on a car until they began to talk about what the car meant to it. And then she began to appreciate a little bit 
this value of letting people know that he made it. And he began to understand how, well, actually he had trouble understanding how she could feel like it was a problem to, to be above herself and so on. But at least as they worked on it, they, they were able to reframe enough that they were able to figure out what car to buy. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, that brings up something also very important is that if we haven't had the emotional intimacy to talk about these very important things to ourselves, you know, together, like it, those values that, that she had and he had in your example, what it means to them, what things represent to you. So many times I'll have couples who've been together maybe a year or two years, and they'll come and they're so distressed. And I'll find that they've never had any deep conversations. They haven't had conversations about their values or what money means or what the plans are, what the long-term goals are. It's just, oh, well, we're in love. Let's get married. And and, and those big conversations have not occurred. And they find out, I even had one couple who'd never discussed having children. And, you know, well, who doesn't discuss whether or not you want to have children before you marry someone? Well, only someone who thinks that they can get you to do whatever they want after they get you. And and that's not a very good approach to setting yourself up for a long-lasting, emotionally intimate and rich relationship. Well, and the other thing is kind of the personal growth that occurs when you begin to share like that because uh, he may very well discover once he gets clear on what's pushing him uh, that he doesn't want to spend his entire life trying to prove to the world that he's a success mm-hmm. and uh, she may realize that all these limits of never uh, of never appearing above anybody she doesn't have to she doesn't have to be above anybody to be free to do things outside this a very confined little circle. There. Yes, and also she may find that as she already has a college degree, they, she's been uh, released from the constraints of doing things the way that everything else was done in the family. She's already transgressed the rules, so go for it, baby. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, that's right. She's already been rejected, so yeah. she might still enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, that happened to me. I'm the only person in my f- entire family, mother and father's side, whoever went to university. One person went to a one-year teacher college. I'm the only one who has a university degree, and of course I have three. Well, it was instant, instant rejection. I mean, it was all done, you know, by the time I got the bachelor's degree, never mind the master's and the PhD, like, nope. So I could do anything that I wanted after that because it's going to be wrong no matter what. it kind of let me off the hook well thank you so much for talking to me today james this has been great enjoy talking with you Roberta. so i've been talking with dr james Crichton. now he has all kinds of wonderful credentials and he's been doing this work for a long time so he has written this great book called loving through your differences so He's giving you some really solid strategies here for what to do when things seem to be going sideways, and even if they go sideways often, right? So important for you. So find him at jameslcrichton.com. That's C-R-E-I-G-H-T-O-N. And uh, be sure to check out the book at Amazon. And remember, he said it's a little bit cheaper on Amazon, so run over there and get it.
I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, the Relationship Help Doctor, and you can find me at transformingrelationship.com. Come and visit my other podcast, Save Your Sanity, Help for Toxic Relationships. If you find yourself in a relationship with someone who is relentlessly difficult, a parent, a partner, an ex, a co-worker, a sibling, then you want to go and get my free ebook, How to Spot a Hijackle. Hijackles are what I call these people. So we don't need a psychological diagnosis. We don't need a healthcare professional. We can just say, these are the patterns, traits, and cycles I'm seeing. That person is a hijackal. So you can get that book at my website, transformingrelationship.com, and you can see the store, and uh, it's free. So you can also see uh, where to get it. I'm glad you were with me today. If you found value here, I hope you'll return. Tell your friends, invite them to come along too, because everybody needs some emotional savvy. Until we talk again, take good care. Thanks for being here for today's episode of Emotional Savvy. If you want to deepen your emotional savvy, make shifts in your relationships, and enjoy life and relationships more, work with me, Dr. Roberta Shaler. Get my books, enjoy my courses, or work with me directly. You can do that by visiting forrelationshiphelp.com, F-O-R, relationship, H-E-L-P.com, and subscribe to Tips for Relationships now. Don't miss a thing. Be empowered this week with more emotional savvy.